You are listening to the Mombcast, the best weekly comic book podcast recorded in Southampton, England on Thursday nights. episode 250 Yay. of the Momcast. Uh, we'll talk about a few comics. I've got a comic on my tablet. Times oh, are changing. I'll be buying $5.99 comics soon. My goodness. I don't see that happening. No, not with not with this economy. No. We're all in it together. <laughs> apart, apart from those of us who aren't. Um, but... Uh, yes, this is a Momcast, it's 250th one. That means we have been doing these for 250 years. That's right. Do you know, it feels like it. I know, doesn't it? Yeah. It's been a long it's been a long road to get from there to here. Oh dear. That was short-lived. Was it, it lasted longer than Enterprise. Was it Scott Bakula who sang that Scott, song? Scott who? Bakula. Is he related to anyone we know? <laughs> I don't he might he yeah. might well be. Yeah. Um he might be the American cousin of No. No. Don't even think no, it. I'm not, he's, no, he's definitely not coming today. Uh, around the mic tonight are James and Nick. Uh potentially later on Jane will be uh, uh beaming in via satellite mm. from a satellite. She's on a satellite. She's she's actually on the Justice League. Satellite. Yeah, that's what she's doing. Are they in a satellite now? I don't know what's going on I since the reboot. I. No, nor do I. I think they, they probably have a satellite. If, if they don't have a satellite, Batman almost certainly does. Every now and then I tune into a DC52 comic and it's it's almost like I felt when I first started reading comics, which was you'd get... Confused. You'd, yeah, you'd get you'd get an odd issue of an American comic yeah. that someone had given you, and yeah. and it wouldn't you wouldn't know how the story started or ended yeah. or who any of the people were. Yeah. But back then you could enjoy it. That's the bit that's different. That was really. great. Yeah, that was great for your imagination, though. I mm. made up many the end of a Batman or Spider Man story. Yeah, uh, I think maybe better than Stan Lee did. Almost a lot certainly. Of time. Although I wasn't reading Stan Lee written comics because I'm not that fucking old. <laughs> Jesus, oh. feel it. I laughed, but I'm pretty sure I did. Did you not get those little um, black and white pocket books that had Fantastic Four and stuff like that in? I did not. Oh, but I'm like only a year or two older than you. Two, but also you have different lived experiences. Maybe that's uh, that's what happens when you meet the person you love when you're five years old. Uh, we were more like eleven when we first met. Oh, and then uh, you first became a romantic couple six months later. No, we were fifteen. Okay, but when Nicola right. finds out about all this, I'm in deep trouble. All of she doesn't know. <laughs> Has she never met her? No. Well, how have you been managing that? This is well, amazing. For 24 years, I've been leading a double life, Nick. Well, that's all out the window now. It is shit. She doesn't listen to this one. We're right. Oh, no, if true. this had been the other podcast, did we slip into the other podcast? I think, I think we, we did. did. You can cut it out and put it into 2GM. 
did um that's about to reach its 50th episode bloody hell i know it's amazing isn't it 50 weeks that's yeah. almost 50 years it is almost 50 years uh, we'll the, be catching up with 2000 AD soon. Do you ever, when you hear those people, uh, when you hear those stories or watch those TV programs or ha- watch the TV programs over the shoulders of your wife about uh, men who have managed to maintain uh, three uh, families in the same town mm. or in the same country mm. without any of them knowing yeah. about each other? Do you ever... Do you ever think that maybe in another world that person was the CEO of a, multi- of a multinational company that, that, like, saved the world? Almost the, certainly. The amount of organization. Yeah. And that's just amazing. Yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine it. If they could put that level, of, that level of organization and deceit, they could have been the most effective politician ever known. I have enough trouble. Or uh, a spy. Yeah. Or a politician spy. Oh, I have enough trouble. Um, I have enough trouble keeping a poker face about how much money I've spent on comics around around Amy. I I, I always get uncomfortable when it comes to matters of the truth. Mm. The corner of my mouth turns up into a smile. <laughs> nervous smile. A nervous smile. Can't help it. Uh, d- I was always worried. Like I, I can't genuinely. When I was younger, I, I was always worried that I was going to get falsely imprisoned because I get really nervous and uncomfortable when I'm being accused of something I haven't done to the point where I'm worried that I give tales that maybe I've done it. Do you know? So I was always convinced as a youngster I would end up getting framed for something. And because I give these weird tales because I get uncomfortable when I'm being accused of something I haven't done, I, I thought that would see me incarcerated. And in need of rescue. <laughs> well, I, the, uh, the that that is that is the thing that I find a, a bit perplexing about the role that the police have ended up having in our, in our society, rather than uh, um, uh, the the cement of a community. They've become somebody that 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 people fear because no, it isn't specifically the police. It's justice, justice, or miscarriages thereof. Yeah. And it's because I find that whether or not someone looks guilty. A lot of stocks put in that, considering that everybody feels guilty when they're being asked something. Well, I'm a keen exponent of the science of phrenology. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I think that's is that where you can tell someone's evil from the shape of their face or their skin colour. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I uh, I, I can see how during, you might be an exponent of that. During the most recent European elections, um, a very nice man from UKIP came around our house <laughs> and he gave me a book on it, and I've read it, and I have to say, yes, it makes a lot of sense. I saw something distressing this week. What was it? Um, the the pigeon continues its, um, oh, its, no. its slow decay. Although um, it was near some railings, now it, and it was lying next to the railings. It's like something was trying to drag it through the railings. And so it's all smudged up against the railings now. Well, that's but awful. I, I have to say it's quite a mess. Although it's weird how long a, a pigeon, because of the feathers, retains some of its shape. That is weird. Yeah, and a bit distressing because it's a good three weeks now. There's a hedgehog down there as well, and it just looks like a spiky, leathery purse at this point. No, it's not dead, not a hedgehog. No, it's very dead. It looks like a spiky, leathery purse because obviously where it's been run over, its guts popped out of its tummy. So it's kind of sliced, bifurcated almost along the length of its tummy. So it looks like it would open up into a purse. It's... um. It's quite a thing. I'm thinking about maybe picking it up and seeing if I can, but they fleas. Can't really take those into the house because of the dogs. Um, that just seems like such a betrayal that, like, of either how can either evolution mm. or 
intelligent design mm. be real things mm. if the hedgehog i mean like a pigeon dies yeah. randomly that's yeah. like well they don't take any fucking care i've seen a pigeon get caught by a dog when a pigeon can fly and the dog wasn't that I, bothered i very nearly saw a pigeon get caught by a dog this week as well um and the, the, these animals can fly and they need rescuing from dogs by us sometimes yeah. that's rubbish but Every stage of evolution that has gone into or design mm. that has gone into a hedgehog mm. has created a creature that likes to stay out of trouble, quite mm. risk averse, and is protected by mm. everything about like they've had to forego uh, they've had to forego social cuddles. Yeah. Um as a as a species. They don't they don't get to cuddle up that much mm. really because of all those spikes, as I understand it. Because otherwise they get velcroed together like stickle bricks, and it's a bit. It's very hard for them to have um, sex with with multiple partners at the same yes, time. Exactly. So they've had to. A, um, um, a hedgehog wobbly H is a precarious thing to be involved in. They've had to forego polyamory. That's yeah. a thing. Well, no, no, oh, no, 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 not no, polyamory. No, no, no they no, can still right. be polyamorous, Nick. But like uh, three or moresomes, they can't yeah. do, and and just affectionate back nuzzling, they can't do. That's true. And ear so nibbling. They have <laughs> maybe they could do that. I don't know. So they've had to forego all of that, mm. and they still get fucking run over. What I'd say to you, Nick, is if they were really good at evolving, they would have evolved spikes that can burst fucking tires, wouldn't they? No, that's that's true. Yeah. So maybe fuck them. Um, so the crows. Yeah, I was walking home from work. Um, it was uh, there was a cool breeze. Mm-hmm. Um, but cool the sun, breeze on the rocks. It was a cool breeze, but the sun the sun was uh, hiding behind uh, little clouds that were scutting across the scutting across the sky. It was, clouds, yeah, not clouds, not clowns. <laughs> okay, there were no clowns in the uh, <laughs> in the sky that I noticed. They could have been, but I was more fixated on the um, on the crow that had just been freshly run over by the looks of things in the middle of the road. Next to the path uh, on which I was walking, perambulating, if you will, <laughs> there is a school. It's a, a Catholic convent school. It's a large building. Um, I've seen them. But quiet at this time of year. Yes. Um, separating the school from the path is a, a very small wall uh, upon which is a, uh, a set of railings. I noticed something behind the wall as I walked past through the railings, and it just seemed to be this small, shivering creature. So I got a little further down, I got a better view of it. And if you can imagine this very short wall, and there's a strip of grass um, next to the wall, there was this bird, its, it's real rear tail feathers fanned out to allow it to scooch right up against the wall with its butt, its head fully shrugged into its shoulders, its wings almost over its head. It looked for all the world like it was grieving for the crow that had freshly died on the road. And it is the most sad and forlorn sight I have ever seen in my entire life. I think they mate for life, you know. Hmm. I think that crow had just seen its life mate have its life dashed out across the road in front of its eyes. It could take it quite a while to meet someone new, like a few days. Exactly, yeah, absolutely. It's very difficult. Dating for crows is difficult. There's no friggin', uh, what's it called, uh, internet singles for crows. Make new friends on the telephone. There's no, um, what's that, gum, gum, gum tree or Tinder or uh, Plenty of Fish. There's none of that. Crowsfeet.com, it's not a thing. Could be... Uh, Doesn't even really work. Could be... Uh, crows meet. No, for um, for <laughs> gross meat, that's very good. I think it or plenty of carrion or something like <laughs> that. You know what I mean? 
But yeah, it was sad. It stayed with me all week, Nick, that image. I was all prepared to make some comment about um, uh, hideously hilarious uh, racial stereotyping in the voice. I, I mm. thought that story was going to end mm. or get to a point where there were a bunch of crows standing mm. on top of something, uh, cawing at each mm. other. And uh, as far as I can remember, there's the uh, – it's too orangey for crows. Well, just, there's that thing. Or there's the crows in some Disney film that are a little bit sketchy uh, as well. I was going to say really isn't it as a as – a, epilogue to the story um, it may have been that the it was misadventure because I think it had been pecking away at a, a carton of Kiora oh, in the no. middle of the road it's too orangey and it should have known it should have known it was too orangey maybe the grieving crow was, was there thinking oh god poor Barry oh god he knew it was too orangey what was he thinking of what about me and the baby crows it's too orangey those, those baby crows will grow up knowing that Kiora is too orangey for crows well no they won't will they or will they? I don't know. It depends. Do you think the whole family dies when they? Yeah, maybe. No, yeah, that's it. Yeah, baby <laughs> crows die when well, they kind of do. Quite often, you know, um, chicks will because obviously both parents are bringing food back to the nest. So if one's gone, then inevitably there's going to be a, a knock-on consequence of that Kiora consumption. It's the butterfly effect. Nice. No, it was a crow, Nick. The crow effect. Yeah. Nature's a harsh mistress. She's all right, though. You sort of buy her a box of chocolates and flowers and make sure you're around there regular. Yeah. She don't mind. I often slip her a ten and go, there you go, nature, buy yourself something nice. But look, How about an ozone layer? But look, nature, he's never going to leave his wife, no matter what he keeps telling you. No, so no, no. No, every time I'm with her, nature, I'm always thinking of you. <laughs> um, oh, is there a worst insult to pay to someone? Say, yeah, I am having sex with another human being, but um, I'm, I'm always thinking of you while I'm doing it. Oh, cheers. I don't think mistresses get to feel that bad about it, though, do they? I don't know. And um, what's, the, what's the male equivalent as well? I don't want to sort of uh, gender normalise. A cuckold? No, no that's, that's a man who, whose partner has sex with another man in front of him. So a cuck, cuck, cuck. Oh, no, you're right. A cuck, 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 cuck. Um, I don't know, isn't it? Is it? Isn't it the same thing? I should know that, really. Is it a mister? A mister. <laughs> mister and mistress. Scuttle about behind their uh, partner's backs. <laughs> I, I think we should talk about this week's comics. Yes, okay. Um, and if you tune off at this point, thank you for listening to the last 250 shows. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this week's comics now. 2008, it's Prog 1893. It was all produced in the year 1893, using all of the resources from that year sent forward uh, to the present day for this issue of 2000 AD. You can tell that it was all produced in 1893 because I'm not entirely convinced the second part of the Judge Dredd story, A Night in Sylvia Plath, written by John Wagner with art by Colin McNeil, was written and produced with the benefit of a modern-day spell checker. But that's besides the point. It's all fine. You did it, the joke, didn't you, and I didn't laugh. I'm sorry. It's OK. I don't mind. I, I followed it up with another little joke. Nick had, Nick had given me an administrative task, and I was, um, I was concentrating on that. I'm sorry, listener. Mm-hmm. I'm fully back and present now, though. Uh, it is always nice to see Colin McNeil art and Walter the Wobot, though. I like Walter the Wobot. It didn't feel much like Walter the Wobot, though, because he's having... Cognitive difficulties. Oh dear. It's a bit depressing. Aquila uh, by Gordon. Hmm? He's old though, isn't he? He's quite old, but theoretically only as old as Judge Dredd, surely. 
Or does he predate Judge Dredd? Well, he's old as well, though, isn't he? No, that's true. I don't know. You'd think a robot would last longer. Anyway. Um, don't make them like they used to, mate. Aquila Khan effects by Gordon Rennie and Lee Alexander is uh, delightfully grotesque as always. Ian Edgington and INJ Culbard do a lovely job on Brass Sun. There's a giant um, angler fish in this one. It's a bit scary. They're not pretty fish, are they? Well, I like the light. Yeah, the light is pretty, mm. to be fair. Um, Black Shuck, the brand new, except it's three weeks old now, uh, a story from Lee Moore, John Repian and Steve Yowell is swashbuckly fun, although not that much seems to happen in this issue. It's kind of an interstitial bit. But the interesting thing for me this week is Jaeger or Jaeger. Jaeger, I guess, is back. The uh, story of the veteran of the Nort army uh, from the Rogue Trooper oh. story. Uh, it's, a, it's, another, it's another story set in this very um, vivid, uh, grim world. Written by Gordon Rennie, very atmospheric writing. Uh, you really do feel the uh, voice of the character coming through. There's an appearance by Rogue... Uh, rogue trooper himself on the first page um it's that's interesting because i don't like it when they do it when they do it too much in 2000 ad uh you know nearly all of these stories are interconnected in some way or another but it is kind of nice it is kind of nice to have rogue trooper just appear as a peripheral figure in this story because he's such a big part of the new earth of that whole war um a really nice art by simon colby i really like Jake Yeager. What we're dealing with in this story is um, she got a new mission at the end of the last story, uh, a new job, a new role, investigating things. She she and her colleague end up doing a mission. They're, they're, they're working for, though we don't know the whole story yet, but they're working for a criminal and they're not happy about that. I think she's kind of a member of the arist- the North aristocracy as well. She's related to that. Uh, they don't like criminals. There's lots of this very Soviet, like this undercurrent of corruption and everybody having quite a lot of gallows humor mm. about the society they're in, but still this this idea of honor and um, a higher purpose and stuff it, it, intercutting all of that. Sure. You know, the fallen Soviet empire sort of thing. But... One thing that's interesting that I will be coming back to in a minute is the uh, the criminal that they are um, going to be working for. When you initially see him, he's kind of like this, like the Sentinels from The Matrix. He's kind of this floating robotic mm. squid thing. And he says, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry to greet you in this uh, like this. Uh, my my new body's just being prepared, and his consciousness obviously shifts into, uh, as far as I understood it, his consciousness shifts into this other body. The recent run on X Force, which I haven't been reading, but I have been reading about, uh, suggests something similar happening with Cable. Not not that his consciousness is necessarily. Well, yeah, that the essentially the Cable, as we know him, the Marvel character, uh, actually has potentially died quite regularly. But every time mm-hmm. he dies, his uh, consciousness goes into a clone of him. It's not 
it's a, a really interesting idea to apply to an old character, uh, to a legacy character like that. I guess Cable is now a legacy character, even though he still seems quite new to old timers like us. I don't know. Um, and it's a really interesting science fiction idea to apply to these very vivid comic book universes. It's, I think the most famous version of it in recent years was probably in Moon. Um, yes. which is a great, great film. And I, I really... Or, or Battlestar Galactica. Or Battlestar Galactica as well, actually, probably more prominently. Yeah. Um, it's a great idea. I really, really like it. It seems to be in vogue in comics at the moment, though, so that was quite interesting. The other comic that Did I... Did you just say On Vogue have got their on own vogue, comic? On Vogue, yeah. They, they have, on Vogue are all clones. Well, that free your mind, literally. Yeah. Free your mind from your current body into your next clone body. And the rest will almost certainly follow. Oh, Yeah. I uh, the next comic I read. This is why it's in my head. Um, is uh, Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers by uh, from Dynamite Comics, written by Joe Casey with art on one section by Nathan Fox, on another section by Jim Rugg, and uh, Ulysses Farinas worked on it as well. That's interesting because I totally didn't register it as Ulysses Farinas while I was reading. He's got a very distinctive style and it looks quite different from his normal work, which is good. I mean, I really like his normal work, but it, it you know it's nice to see people changing up mm. what they're doing. This was $3.99 from Dynamite. It's a number one. It's got quite a nice, de- nicely designed cover. I honestly don't know anything about Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. I can appreciate Jack Kirby... Um, historically but my experience of his comics is very much after the fact as I was mentioning earlier on the old black and white reprints of uh, various big Mm. Marvel series I don't really know his work on DC comics apparently Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers is quite a well known uh, project that he worked on Um, I meant to do a bit of research into, into what it actually was but I failed so sorry sorry listener um, stuff happened, you know. Whatever you're going to have to live. Was with it, it life? Life happens. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually thought it was it was probably based on a 1980s uh, cartoon or toy range because Captain Victory in the Galactic. I think I was thinking vaguely of Captain Universe or whatever. So it's it is. a proper title for a comic book. Yeah, I, I know it is. I know, and for all I know, maybe it, it is. Uh, it was that, but it was a TV series that Jack Kirby worked on. I don't know. Anyway, this seems to be a, a reinvention. Uh, it's, it's a very modern comic, and as for, for all I know, it's a, it seems like a bit of a um, a high concept, almost ex- a narratively experimental revisiting of these ideas in much the same vein as Profit. Which was over, which has been written and overseen by Brandon Graham over at Image, but that is a, a very different, very big scale um, science fiction, like European feeling science fiction epic based on Rob Liefeld's character Prophet. From you know, it doesn't really bear any resemblance to the original thing, and I think this is kind of similar. I don't know if the whole clone thing is part of the Captain Victory thing. I don't really know anything mm. about it, but. Not knowing that was made this quite an exciting read, even though because it's Joe Casey, uh, who is a great writer but not always the most accessible writer, 
it's it's kind of why it's a very it's written in a very wild and vivid. I'm going to keep. He using has a the very Gonzo style. Yeah, it, it, it's and it it follows on from that. Did Joe Casey did Butcher Baker as well, didn't he? Butcher and Baker, it, the Righteous Maker, which was just mind blowingly good and crazy. Mm. And it bears a lot of resemblance to that, actually. Even the art styles, Nathan Fox, Jim Rugg and U- Ulysses Farinas, they are all unique voices, mm-hmm. but they all fit more with the uh, late 1980s Bill Sienkiewicz school of narrative storytelling more than um, – actually, Ulysses Farinas doesn't but kind of does a bit more in this. The story opens in a on a spaceship in a far-flung universe where – um, the spaceship, you're introduced to the crew of the spaceship, you're given an idea that there's an empire and it's all pretty much science fiction, science fantasy by numbers sort of. I, was, I wasn't sure if they were riffing on the uh, – if they were deliberately trying to draw comparisons between the original team that Jack Kirby maybe came up mm-hmm. with and and the Guardians of the Galaxy and um, and other other – spacey teams that are around now I, I didn't know if that was deliberate or if these these uh stories and ideas all pull for this from the same inspirational pool you know but it's all all of these characters are presented really in really interesting ways there are there are a bunch of aliens it tells you which planet they all came from um they're all the crew of this ship with a human at the center who uh, it becomes apparent is captain victory the titular captain victory and the ship gets attacked. You don't know much about who it is who's attacking them. And within three pages of the beginning, Captain Victory gets killed by a nasty explosion that, that blows him pretty much to graphic pieces. And that's when the whole clone thing as a story gets introduced. This is one of those things that it, it would be ideal if I could have talked about this without talking about this particular plot thing but it all happens in the first two or three pages it chucks all of these ideas at you really really quickly and then the rest of it is the rest of the issue is this story playing out because this isn't a story about this weird character having space fantasy adventures out in space this is a story about this process that they establish uh, this process of his mind being beamed into these clones that's established right at the very beginning going awry it quickly establishes that that's the norm not everybody knows that's what happens to captain victory but that's why captain victory's always been this uh helmsman to the you know this hero for the empire or whatever it is because uh, you know apparently the people responsible for this can't afford for this really intelligent strategic mind and this hero uh to just die the way mm. heroes tend to so that's that's why this has all been set up but it goes wrong very quickly they lose track there's um, an explosion and escape pods are sent out from the ship but they don't know where those have gone and then what this becomes is about what happens to uh, what happens with all of the stuff that goes into one of these clones when uh, they end up in very different environments there's a Ooh. there's a period they're exploring uh, nature versus nurture. I think they? they are, yeah, very much. And I think that's a theme we've seen come up a few times in the last mm. couple of weeks, but I'm not sure if that's um on this show. Uh, it's some of it, it uh, some of it is going to be set in space, 
we are introduced to other worlds. Some of it is going to be set in what looks like 1970s or 80s New York. So essentially what we're saying is, is this the story of this book, and we have mentioned it on the show before, I'm sure, is exploring the same themes as Star Trek Nemesis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what, yes. I the, think it's, The Shinzon Picard question. It's basically exactly the plot to Star Trek Nemesis. Mm. It looks amazing. I've given you a sense of what it what it looks like by saying it, it's very much from the same pool as... Um, I can't remember who it was who drew uh, Butcher Baker, but oh, it's, it's all very much inspired. From, I guess it's kind of a gonzo art style as well. Totally. Gonzo works. All of these artists are, are turning Copyright in. Ryan K. Lindsay when it comes to comics, though, because he, oh, right. okay. he's the first person I saw, uh, saw coin the phrase in relation to comic book writing. Thanks, uh, thanks Ryan. You're ace. I don't want people to think I'd had an original thought. <laughs> The uh, the three art styles are very different from each other, but it all kind of works. I think the colorist is probably the same and pulls it all together. Brad Simpson's the colorist, and so there is a consistent through line in there. Um, it's it's really good. I'm definitely going to read the next one to see how it goes, even though it's three dollars ninety nine. Can I just say because it's going to bug me all night that I'm aware that um, writers such as Hunter S. Thompson were proponents of Gonzo writing in a prose style. Um, I meant when I said Ryan had coined it, he'd coined it very specifically to describe a style of comics. So it isn't anything to do with uh, the Muppet. No, that's uh, that's a, a thing. That's a saxophone thing. Okay. Okay, I'm never sure. Um, I, I'm not highbrow like you guys. That is true. You and Ryan. Yeah. The, You're uh, a pleb intellectually compared to us. I, I unfortunately am, but I'm quite good at blagging it. I'm not sure everyone realises that I'm a pleb. I think most people realise I'm a pleb, don't they? Well, most of us do. <laughs> uh, There's 250 uh, hour and a half episodes of evidence. <laughs> One of the other comics I bought this week was also from Dynamite, and that's weird. It kind of happened by accident, but I don't tend to read... It's not that I deliberately avoid Dynamite comics. I just... that There haven't been that many things from them that I've picked well, up. Well, I'm generally... Past. I'm the more likely one to pick up Dynamite books. They, they've got a lot of the pulp hero stuff, haven't they? The Well, there's a whole run... That I, I think um, part of the, the book that you picked up by Joe Casey is part of a, a whole thing they're doing around Kirby's... Kirby characters that were developed but never necessarily went anywhere and they do have a lot of sort of very um pulpy licenses as well ah oh, you could have bailed me out a little bit by telling me that when i was struggling never mind it's okay it's fine so i wasn't really listening to be honest with you. i was thinking about my tea i understand this isn't part of the any jack kirby range i think this is part of another thing they've got going on that's called creators unleashed all right um it's written by peter milligan with art by piotr kowalski uh, of sex and of, I think, the Marvel Knights Hulk series and probably Nightbreed as well, which mm. is coming out at the moment. Um, it's called Terminal Hero, and it's $2.99, and as I said, it's from Dynamite. It's very much a mature reader's title. I picked it up because of Peter Milligan's name. I do like Kowalski's art, but I love Peter Milligan as a writer, and and um, I I don't always catch the stuff he's putting. I think mean, he's he writes relatively regularly in comics, 
But for some reason, I always seem to miss his stuff these days when it comes out. But he wrote Bad Company for 2008 back in the day, and he's written Shade the Changing Man. And lots of my favorite comics from time past have been Pete Milligan comics. This is more like the stuff I really liked from him from Vertigo uh, years and years ago. It's about he has a he has a a sort of an afterword about it as well about how um, it it superficially seems to be about cancer to begin with. That we we have a we have a couple of pages of seeing a person who seems to have some sorts of sort of powers who then gets neutralized it's literally just one page we see actually we don't have much information about that and then we cut to five years later and a, a character called rory fletcher who is a medical student in london finds out he's got a tumor an inoperable tumor in his brain that's that gives him, well, weeks probably to live. Uh, it totally inoperable. Chemo would probably give me a few extra weeks at best is the scene that's set on the first page. Um, and the first few pages, it feels like this is going to be about him dealing with that. It's very, it's written in a very down-to-earth way. Pete Milligan's characters are uh, very articulate. They always are. And it's it's very intelligent and they have very clear personalities. The doctor who is giving him the bad news has brilliant British uh, specialist bedside manner. He's uh, he's looking at the um, he's looking at the thing. He starts out saying it's bad news, Mr. Fletcher. You're a medical man, so I won't beat around the bush. Uh, But then after uh, after Rory explains what he understands is going on the doctor's response is exactly it's quite a thing of beauty looking at the guy's tumor on a screen <laughs> and then he goes i i mean it's rare extremely rare and his character's like that the whole way through and i mean these are like upper middle class mm. characters we're talking about it's it's a good wheelhouse for pete milligan for pete milligan to write he's good at writing characters like this yeah. we see how um we see how rory copes with this he's talking about how in a couple of months he's going to cease to exist we see how his friend his best friend raz takes it but also also you see how and i and this is where my one uncertainty about this book goes i'm not sure how it's going to treat female characters particularly at this point the one female character that that turns up is one of uh, rory's uh, i guess fellow students who hears the bad news and for whatever reasons, possibly because she wanted to anyway, but possibly because she feels bad for him or you're not entirely sure, throws herself at him. And because he feels guilty and weird about it, he um, he re- rejects her advances. She's going to turn up later on in the part of the book that I'm not going to talk about that much because it's once things really kick off. So the first few pages are just all about this guy dealing with the fact that he that his brain is going to be destroyed by this tumour. And it all feels like that's what this is going to be about. The cover suggests there's more going on. It's a slightly weird, very pretty and bold cover, but it, it it's a weird cover. But up to this point, it, and uh, apart from the front page, the first page, which is a bit odd, it, you're dealing with this guy, dealing with this shit, basically. Um, he starts to have... 
you know he's he's not having great a great emotional time and then his friend raz comes along with uh this experimental treatment that he has somehow managed to find on the internet or somewhere and he starts using it on rory because like rory's very much well what have i got to lose really mm-hmm. and then rory weird things start to happen to rory there's a little bit of fudging about how uh there's there are side effects mentioned um there's a little bit of fudging about how we don't use all of our brain they never say 10 percent, thankfully but they say that we have untapped potential there's also a suggestion that the tumor and where this drug works on is also where all of these potentially uh potential unexplained possibly non-existent phenomena like psycho like kinetics and stuff like that happen rory starts to exhibit this stuff and also starts to experience what happens when consequences don't really apply to you as much as they seem to Mm -hmm. to other people because he's got power and also as far as he's concerned no future or he's cheated death or however you want to look at it and that seems to be the main uh core of what this book's going to be about is is it's kind of uh, explored a little bit are you only in are we rory's a nice person when this starts but he starts to question whether or not he's actually a nice person or whether he was just a nice person because he was constrained by all of these things about being a human um about being a human in the world if you see what i mean Mm -hmm. The scene, the later scene that I suggested with Emma um, is the one scene that I'm a little bit sketchy about. I don't know how much of it was in the script, but it's uh, how much of it is in the script and how much of it is in the art. It's a scene full of menace that could easily have been ambiguous about what the nature of the menace was. But for half of the scene, she ends up uh, she ends up exposed. Uh, okay. semi-naked there is a boob on display it seems incongruous mm-hmm. to what's going on I very much don't have a problem with transgressive comics um, well with transgressive stories I think we've talked about this before I don't I don't really have a problem with stuff uh, like that and I don't necessarily think creators have to justify it. choices like that all the time because you can always choose not to mm. buy their thing but in this particular case, what's happening on the page? What's happening on the page seems unnecessary to what's happening in the script. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, doesn't really make a lot no, of, make you. a lot of sense to me. And it, and it just it just makes me wonder how things are going to progress. There's a shadowy conspiracy in there, like a, a scientific conspiracy in there as well. And it's it's really good. The art is nice, aside from that that moment of weirdness. Kowalski's art is always really nicely detailed. I know you really liked him on sex. I, he might even still be yeah. doing sex. I don't know. There's sometimes a bit of a flatness of tone. His line line width, something I learned from Steve on last week's show. I already knew this, actually. But his the line width on stuff doesn't vary that much. So sometimes stuff happening in the foreground, stuff happening in the background doesn't have a lot of – there's not a lot of difference between it. But it's the, the story's really interesting. And Pete Milligan's – these aren't – 
these aren't alien or totally original themes. People getting power in it, not necessarily making them a better person, aren't unusual themes. But I like Peter Milligan in themes uh, themes about people and personas and stuff like that. Um, I did get one more book I just wanted to quickly talk about. I'm not going to talk loads about this because I want James to read it um, himself. I think it's very much in his wheelhouse. But uh, have I said wheelhouse a few times today? I, I don't know. You can go back and check and edit them out. I like it, though. OK, wheelhouse. Um, I wanted to look more into the history of what How Tunes is because it wasn't until the end of this comic. Uh, the comic I'm talking about is How Tunes. Uh, Reignition number one. It's a book from Image. It's written by Fred Van Lent with art by Tom Fowler and colours by Geordie Belair. And I guess that's letters by Russ Wooten. Um, there's tons and tons of it. it says coordinated by how tunes as well. But you see, I don't necessarily know what that means. There's tons of material in this. There's a story. There is a comic story, but at the same time. Uh, partly uh, partly because the story allows it there are loads of little projects and loads of little bits of information and it's a bit of a learning experience it's i guess it's probably angled at kids of it, it can be angled at kids of about eight or nine up maybe uh how tunes is i'm looking at the website right now the world's greatest diy comic website tools of mass construction it says cool I'm literally reading it, though, <laughs> right now. Nick Dragotta, comic artist, Saul Griffith, inventor, Ingrid Dragotta, toy designer, and Juiced Bonton, the big kid. What happens when you take a comic book artist, an inventor, and a toy designer? You get how-tunes. They create engaging content that teaches kids how to build things, combining instructions with storytelling. How-tunes has a foundation of science and engineering education, inspiring creativity through art and imagination. Having read this comic, I'm definitely going to go and look at this site that a little bit more. That sounds awesome. Although it might just frustrate me because my my son isn't really old enough for me, but I might oh, enjoy it no, myself. Oh, no, we're letting your daddy down. Unbelievable. But... The I don't know how much of what happens in the comic is reflective of what happens on the site because I I haven't read any of the strips on the site. I don't know if they're purely let's build stuff, kids, Blue Peter style stuff or if there's a narrative. In the comic, though, there is a narrative. It starts with a prologue, which is amazing, that goes on – that's amazing both – in the information and the writing and the information that writing imparts and the way that's visually represented. It's about light leaving the sun, coming to earth, and what happens to that light in terms that's of energy. Awesome. That's cool. It goes on a journey from pretty much the beginning of time on this planet to where we are now and a potential future. Graphically speaking, not only is it great comics, but there's an amazing design as well. There are... The, the pages are – this bit of the comic is three panel pages, long, thin panels, uh, long, tall, thin panels. And at the bottom, there's a little icon for each stage. So at the beginning, you've got light leaving the sun and coming to earth. And there's a little icon of the sun at the bottom to, mm. to, to show you that's what this is. And then there's a leaf leaf for photosynthesis, which is the next panel. Then there's like a little bowl full of leaves, full of salad for when um, herbivores start eating it. Then there's a steak for when the meat eaters come along and start eating it. And it's all about the transference of energy from mm. the sun through to this. And it ends with the greenhouse effect 
And the company, the idea in this is that all of the power has been provided by this one big company called Dinosaur Dinosaur Energy or something like that. Uh, they have decided they're kind of in charge of everything, it seems like. They've decided the best way to sort out the greenhouse effect is to – because the problem is that the sun's the sun is hitting the, the canopy that we've created with mm. all of this stuff and that's heating up because there's more in it blocking the sun and so that's heating up the planet. So what they've decided is the best way to stop this happening is they're going to drop a bunch of nuclear bombs – into a volcano that volcano will explode pumping all sorts of shit up into the atmosphere it doesn't use the word shit it's for children um into the atmosphere because that will block out all of the sun because obviously the sun is the problem it will block out all of the sun and uh, at the center of this we're introduced to a brother and sister who are very clever they're they are tuck and celine um they are clearly half half brother and sister or half siblings or one of them's adopted or something within two pages uh, Celine is very aware of what's going on I think Tuck is younger and is just a, a force of chaos he is attacking her with um, this marshmallow gun the second page they're introduced it shows you a how to and there is a warning at the beginning saying all projects should be taken on with an, mm. an adult present. It shows you in really clear diagrams how to make these safety glasses that awesome. she's using. On the following page, it shows you in a really handy um, handy diagrams and with lots of very clear written instructions how to build one of these marshmallow guns they're creating. Brilliant. And throughout the book, wherever one of them does something inventive or anyone does something inventive with just stuff that's lying around it shows you how to do it in one of these little diagrams it's really really good Uh, these two kids their parents are scientists Uh, they are the scientists the experts who told the energy company this was a stupid thing to do and they've decided well we're not going to hang around um we're not going to hang around to let our kids have to deal with what this stupid company is going to do so they take them away to a safe bunker and i think the that's that's the first half of this book and i think what's going to happen in the rest of the book is um and what seems to be playing out is what happens after the company does this stupid thing this this is really big these are really big themes and they're very pertinent themes to our life today but it's all done with this energy and so as an as an adult you're reading it thinking well but this isn't that different from what they're doing this is horrible what's going on here but it's all done in a way that isn't isn't fearmongering and it isn't um it is presented the the whole greenhouse effect is presented as fact but i'm not going to begrudge them that because you know it is pretty much fact but you know what I mean? They don't go, well, there's, there are two sides to this and all of this stuff. It's pretty clear well, what's going on. I mean, there's one side, yeah. 99% consensus than 1%. Yeah, of course. So it, it very much does have an agenda. It just happens to be the right agenda as far as I'm concerned. Mm. But it's... Um, also, but it's, the evidence would have us believe. Yes, definitely. But it's... So you seem angry with me about my caveating that. No, I'm joking. You don't seem that angry about no, it. No, I'm furious. <laughs> 
but there's so much energy and positivity and and even even when the kids are scared because they don't know what's going on with their parents and stuff like that the energy of this is all positive and it's all about inventing and creating the writing is really slick but it would have to be because this is a book that the the characters are lovely fun characters even the uh, the shell for the um the shill for the energy company is is kind of upbeat and chipper, and um, but then I guess that's what PR is, isn't it? And the, the tone of the bits where it's telling you about the science is is quite chipper and nice. Reminds me a little bit of um, the Midas Flesh as well, actually. Yeah. Um, but Tom Fowler's art is just amazing when he's imparting the science or the real world stuff, like what's going on with the volcano and the bombs. It's not realistic but it's more it's more detailed cartoony stuff then when the kids are running around chasing each other with guns it's just all energy and animation and it's lovely uh geordie belair's colors are way more i want to say traditional than than her colors sure. normally are she's made very bold choices very uh d- seem to be very inspired by animation uh you know ch- children's tv animation the, the solid blocks of color and stuff like that um but there's art to the whole of this comic, and I just love it. And the back matter goes into detail more about this, the science in the comic. And oh gosh, James, you're going to love it. I really oh, think I'm going to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about it a bit more than I meant to. That I was too enthusiastic. I thought I'm you were. I won't be enthusiastic again. Well, I, I think though the listener knows by now that whenever you say I'm going to talk about this one really briefly, what that means is I'm going to be talking about it for quite some time. All right, fine. It's all right. I'll just I'll speed I'll speed through my um spotlight, it's fine. Shit, no. You, you don't, don't worry about it. Do don't give me any space. It's because fine. there is no awkward middle bit. Nothing happened in comics. That's this not week. true. Did something happen Brandy in comics? Randy Queen. Oh yeah, but I mean he's not really comics. He just did Dark Child. We don't yeah. have to take him seriously. I rather enjoyed it though, because um uh, if you if you're not aware of the story um, Randy Queen is an artist who found his work being analysed on the rather marvellous um, blog Escher Girls. Which I hadn't heard of, but that's genius. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it is. We, which uh, It's run by a, a lady called Amy, who I follow, uh, Amy Angel Wings, if you want to follow her on. Oh, I follow her. I didn't yeah, know we both Yeah, we both follow her. And Escher Girls, is a, um, she is a fanta- uh, f- fascinating uh, individual to follow. Um, I think, but uh, also, yeah, she does some very good work on Escher Girls. Uh, Randy Queen took exception to uh, featuring his work on Escher Girls and um, has spent the week sort of peppering her, I guess, with with cease and desist um, notices. But the rather lovely, and I think you know when you're drawing um, not quite, um, when you're drawing, um, fi- your figure work maybe has... Um, inaccurate or exaggerated proportions. Mm-hmm. When Rob Leefield is telling you that really you need to wind your neck back in and take it on the chin, maybe things are yeah. It, maybe it's time to wind your neck back in and take it on the chin. I rather enjoyed that. So so the whole thing playing out over the week, and I think Angel, Amy's had an awful lot of support from the comic book community, which has been lovely to see. But I rather like the fact that Rob Leefield came into. 
weighed in on yeah, the, on the whole subject. Yeah, that's a Leefield story in, it in was, episode it 250. It was, genuine, it was genuine news. It did um, concern um, Rob Leefield. But I can I can highly recommend Escher Girls is a great site. And uh, Amy Angel Wings on, on Twitter is a very interesting individual to follow as well. I, I enjoy reading her Twitter feed a great deal. Very, very personal, very honest, very open human being. It's a pretty, um, it's a pretty one-sided uh, situation intellectually. That really, though, isn't it? Because, oh, God, yeah. Because you could bracket even without the gender and the mm. aesthetic thing. You could bracket um, Randy Queen didn't like that this was happening. Yeah. With Randy Queen doesn't understand the implications of putting your art out into the world. No, absolutely. Because it was all pretty much fair use. How People are entitled you, to critique How stuff. dare you have an opinion about something I've offered up for everyone to look at? That isn't even... I was going to say he doesn't understand the internet, but that isn't even the internet. No. That's just mm. being a commercial artist. Yeah, it's published material of any sort. Mm. Um, do anything else awkward could happen this week? Yeah, that crow looked like it had all of a time in the yeah. road. The uh, other awkward thing is it is episode 250. Warner, Warner Brothers. Sorry. What did Warner Brothers do? Um, there's a, they've uh, listed a whole raft of release dates of as-yet-untitled DC movies. Um, it looks like there's a massive slate of them, about eight. Oh. Upcoming over the next few years. But as-yet-untitled, does that as mean we don't untitled. know what they've got in them? True, but, I mean, it is similar to what Marvel have done as well. Yeah, didn't did did Marvel announce a third phase, or are people just getting yeah, excited no, they, about it? Yeah, no, they've announced a ton of dates without of untitled projects. I find that all very frustrating. It's odd. It is odd, isn't it? And basically, they can make those projects whatever they want later on, mm. or say they didn't, they weren't going. to. They could literally say anything. They could. It's like big big film companies saying, "Yeah, we're going to release films, at least two films a year." For the next five or six years, <gasps> two films a year. For wow, what could wow. they possibly be? Yeah. Do we have any? Uh, but the awkwardness, the awkwardness then is it's episode 250. We didn't really, we thought for ages and ages, and I'm not really bothered. It's not really a proper anniversary. But then I think the number, looking at the number there, it does feel like it's. Is it better than 300? Nothing's better than 300. Did you see those guys' uh, abs and pecs? They were gorgeous, actually, yeah. Yeah, it was all very that bit with his beard. This is Sparta. Oh, that you're bit. Get, you're getting all Greco erotic, aren't you? Oh, it's very exciting. Oh, it's my pe- my people. I don't know. I don't know. I'm really worried about that voice. It's, it's con- I am really it's, worried about that voice. It's a confusing mix of homoeroticism yeah. and incredibly macho, uh, macho masculine hetero. Sexual. Mm. I don't. It's it's a very. I know. I understand where the voice came from, James. Mm. That film. And Frank Miller's comic that it's based on is very confusing. And some um, some latent homophobia, maybe? I don't there's, know. There, there's oh, in, in you or in the... In society that made me do that everything. voice. I think society made you I'm do I'm really it. ashamed. I'm sorry, You've everyone. brought so many joyful voices into the world. I think the fact that you immediately apologised for that one afterwards makes it okay. Okay. Lee sent us a nice message. Is it written down? He wants to turn us into sex loofers. He wants to turn us into sex loofers. Lee, Lee Gallagher wants to turn us into sex loofers, which I'm quite looking forward to the prospect of that. I don't even understand what that means. What does it mean? Well, I don't want to read the email in because uh, uh, I haven't necessarily got his permission to do so. I think it's probably quite private, yeah? It is. It is. like the Very much like the magazine, which had the fold-out cover, didn't it? Which what? Was it? Oh, no, that's... Sorry, private was the Swedish uh, porn. 
Wasn't is there it? a? Is there a? Pro- pro- I was thinking of escort. I don't. Do you know? I don't think I've. Have I ever read a proper pornographic magazine? I don't think I've ever record, like read a proper because I'm very short, James. I never got to oh, reach I'm, that shelf. I, I'm kind of ashamed to say I had quite a fine collection as a teen. Well, that's because you're very tall. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you, Lee. We are your sex loofers. We'll always be your sex loofers. Does he mean because I need to clarify this because James does have the most sexy voice of any of the people I podcast with. This is an actual fact. We've been told this. There are more people who want to have sex with James's voice than any of the other voices. People want... 100% of people who expressed a preference. It said that, whereas in my case... Um, I'm. I sound the most like a, a robot. But part of the problem. Not no, but not a good robot. Not a good robot, no. But part of the not one of the reassuring ones. Yeah. Uh, but part of the uh, part of the problem with having a voice like James's is that when he says a word like loofer, mm. you have to ask. Does does he want to turn us into sex loofer? The character played by Idris Elba. No, no, loofah as in the thing that you rub your body with loofah. in the shower. Yeah, loofah. Do you want me to read the, the portion of that? Because it's a lovely, thank you, Lee. It's a mm. really nice, really nice um, email. Uh, and he, and he, go, he says at the end, if I had just one wish, it would be that all of you magically transform into loofahs so I could take you into the shower with me and rub you all over my body. Oh, it all happens in Lee Gallagher's bathroom as well. That's where all the pizza is. Is it? Yeah, you should get you on Facebook, James. I am on Facebook in many ways, despite the fact that it's a good place to share pictures of babies with people who want to see pictures of babies. That makes it sound a bit wrong. Um, the, the Part of the main reason is that Lee Gallagher refuses to tr- Twitter. He only Facebooks and he posts photos of him in baths, eating things, um, doing karate kicks. These are all things he does. It's good because I pretty much – I had the same sort of dalliance with Facebook that he had with Twitter and I kind of refused to Facebook again. Oh, I mean it's it's totally hideous. Mm. I'm going to go over stopwatch this time. Okay. Less pressure. Not really. Well, do you want me I to like just the pressure. not do it? I like the pressure. Um, so that's the awkward middle bit. Happy 250th. We're awesome. Yeah, thank you for listening. Um, especially, you know, you know who you are. I don't know who they are. You know they are. They, there's, uh, thank you to everyone. I'm just grateful for anyone downloading and actually sticking it through to this point where we get all sincere. It's yeah. been um, It's been a, a long old road. To get from there to here. Yeah, I already sang already that, that Yeah. Um, do you want to do your spotlight now, James? Yeah, go on then. Do you want to do your spotlight? Yes. Okay. I, was, I, I, I introduced a colleague to uh, Toast of Britain earlier on toast of, toast london. of london that's it earlier on and uh and so in my head the whole way through lunch i was just disappointed i went i went off to read my comics in starbucks and i was walking on the, along the street and i just all i wanted to do the whole way was just say yes i hear you clem fandango <laughs> just over and over again but it wouldn't have made, it would have just been the most lunatic thing that anyone walking along the street could possibly do i, I love Matt Berry. I do. To the point where I was watching Portlandia last night and I didn't realise he was going to be on it and I got very excited. 
Oh, I haven't seen that far. Oh, no, it's Yeah. And he's very good. It's season three. I like Portland, yeah. Yeah, oh, he's very good. It's, it's become my favourite thing. I've kind of gobbled them up a bit quick and they've all gone. There's like maybe t- there's there are at least two or three just killer sketches in every mm. episode, and then a whole oh, bunch yeah, of others. Yeah, and then Nerd's um, public service announcement is the best thing I've ever seen. That on That one subject. was on last night. Oh, very good. On last night, you're not watching it on Netflix. Yeah. So you can watch last them anytime. Night. All right. Okay. Oh, you mean you watched it last night? I set my own schedule, mate. <laughs> Always. Yeah. But yeah, that Clem Fandango thing. And I already had a moment like that because I was listening to a podcast this morning. I can't remember which one and I don't want to tell you what it is because you might like them more than you like us and then we'll lose all, all of our other um, art, fan art and art friends. Um, but um, yeah, I was listening to a podcast this morning and I didn't realise that there was someone walking quite close behind me. So when... And this doesn't happen very often, but when someone said something that caught me by surprise enough that I actually snorted and laughed out loud, you sort of slow down a little bit when you laugh like that. And then suddenly this other person was walking past this laughing lunatic in the pavement. You say about fan art. Did you remember the Thank Martin Eden and last week's show? I don't know if we did. No, I didn't, in fact. You Uh, sod. Martin Eden did... A staggering piece of fan art for us that I made me so it. happy. I almost wept. It's um, it's after a um, I guess a, an X Files promo picture was it? Yeah, one of the photo shoots that were very in vogue for TV shows back when. And it features um, uh, three three individuals in bed: uh, Scully, Gillian mm-hmm. uh, Anderson in the middle, David Duchovny snuggles into her on one side, and a man who I don't know. I think it was their boss in the show. I can't remember Snuggles his name. Snuggles into the other. Something. And Martin did that as, as Jane, um, Nick and myself. Which it's is quite an ab- iconic thing. A bit sexy. It is a bit sexy. It's bloody lovely. I absolutely love it. Thank you very much, Martin. That was really nice. And I'm really sorry Nick didn't say thank you. I know Jane absolutely loved it as well. If I didn't share it on last week's, that's okay because it's fitting that it be a 250th episode announcement right. anyway because it was lovely. I think I did share it in the show notes, but it's mm. good. I'll, show, I'll share it in the show notes again. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, go and have a look at it as well, because it's, please, because it's fantastic. George Beedham. Wah! Wah! Scales Drawther. Wah! Wah! Hello, monkeys. It's George Beedham here, drawer of the mighty Jambo at notregret.com forward slash Jambo. And I'm going to continue my epic saga of contributions about uh, Cosmic Marvel and how great it is. Today, I'm going to talk about Annihilation Prologue, written by Keith Giffen, uh, with art by uh, one of my favourite artists, Scott Collins, with Ariel Olivetti and June Chung on the colours. Right, now... To give you a bit of context, this is 2007-ish, so um, it's around the time that Planet Hulk made people think, oh, maybe maybe people will give a monkeys about the space stuff again, and also around the time that Civil War made people go, oh, God, just get on with it, I don't care anymore. Um, I think that was everyone's reaction to Civil War, wasn't it? Or maybe it was just me. Anyway... Um, Yes, so Annihilation, this is the start of where Cosmic Marvel became cool again. Uh, it's also, there's also a lot of expository dialogue in this, and it sets up pretty much the entire uh, state of the Marvel Universe for a long time. So I'm going to go into a bit more detail than I would usually. Um, please bear with me. It's 
it's very much like if you've read uh, DC's 52, where they're using a lot of B-list characters and having to sort of explain who they are with dialogue and very fairly quickly, but still giving you an idea of what the hell's going on. Um, yeah, anyway, let's get cracking. So we're going to start at the crunch energy cascade which is where the kiln moons are the kiln moons are a basically a massive um high security prison system for all those cosmic entities that you can't quite kill but you need keeping out of the way so um like rogue heralds of galactus i guess and that sort of thing we don't really find up found out much about the inmates because today is annihilation day uh which is to say the annihilation wave bursts through to our universe at the kiln wrecking the prison which isn't a major plot point right now well obviously the annihilation wave is kind of the whole point of the thing but the prison itself doesn't really become involved until later on um so yeah let's just blast ahead uh one cool little thing that I quite like is that all of these, um, all of the mini series that follow this, um, are all set based on Annihilation Day. So it's like Annihilation Day plus whatever to give you some sort of passage of time. I mean, it's not like anybody really pays that much attention to it, but it gives you an idea of how sort of immediate the um, the events were, how close to the main thing i don't know it gives you a sense of the passage of time is what i was trying to say right um anyway so let's jump forward uh to annihilation day plus seven uh across 25 star systems apparently according to this to xandar home planet to the nova core um some of you will know the nova core as marvel's answer to the to dc's uh green lantern core um it's kind of the same deal they're super powered space police they've not got the same powers by any means but um yeah it doesn't really matter right now anyway so because the novas are aware of something happening at the kiln their intelligence is uh shoddy at best given that everything that comes into contact with the annihilation wave gets shot by space lasers or whatever otherwise destroyed um so they've called everybody in, basically, including the only human to ever be made a Nova Centurion, Richard Ryder. Richard Ryder is going to be the centre of a lot of this cosmic stuff um, going forward. Um, he's he's kind of a fan favourite character. He, he A lot of it centres around him. And for this, he's kind of the... Uh, newbie despite having supposedly five years experience in the core but the other novas are kind of explaining what's going on to him and thus to us the reader we're also reintroduced to drax and cammy who i mentioned last time um were taken into custody by the nova core um the problem the nova core are having is that thanks to his recent regeneration which i also mentioned last time drax doesn't match any of the uh, dna scans that they have for the destroyer despite having hundreds of thousands uh, dead by his own hands they've got to let him go because they can't prove who he is um so they're released from custody but um the whole planet's on lockdown because of this annihilation thing happening so they don't get very far so anyway back to the novas and uh, nova prime is bringing everyone together and giving a really rousing speech about how they're going to 
do give a show of force and take back the galaxy and blah 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 unfortunately it's at that moment that the annihilation wave hits xandar which is a massive massive wave of uh bug-like ships all blasting and eating pretty much everything in sight yes eating um the Novacore are pretty much torn through like paper. Drax and Cami decide this is a good time to bugger off in an escape ship, so that's what they do. Um, Richard Ryder kind of holds his own by using the enemy fire against them for a bit, but then unfortunately that's all brought to an end when the spaceport itself comes crashing down in a big fiery mess on top of the planet, wiping out all the entire Novacore except... Richard Ryder, as you may have gathered. Um, I should mention that the spaceport crashing is a massive uh, Scott Collins splash page, and it's brilliant. Um, anyway, yes, we cut to a very battered and bruised Richard Ryder, sort of dragging himself out of the wreckage and starting a verbal log before breaking down into tears because he's the only one left. Um, now we uh, are going to jump around a bit to... Uh, other people who are affected by or who are going to become major players in this event later on should i say so we cut to ronan the accuser who's being accused of crimes against the kree empire himself and taken into custody uh then the silver surfer who's off silver surfing whatever that means um yeah he sort of feels a disturbance and is troubled by it um and the Super Scroll is hanging about somewhere where there's a lot of handy exposition dialogue. Then we cut to the culprit behind this whole Annihilation thing, Annihilus, uh, self-styled ruler of the Negative Zone, for those of you keeping score. Also the uh, owner of, try not to laugh, the Cosmic Control Rod. <laughs> it's a very powerful weapon, stop laughing. Um, it's the dumbest name in the world, isn't it? Uh, yeah, so that's kind of blow by blow what happens in this issue. Uh, join me next time for Annihilation Nova. Goodbye. Would you like to do your spotlight, yeah, James? I got all self-conscious that I'd commanded people to do something. I had to add a little Weasley please at the end there. Please. What actually is fucking wrong with us? Well, I could tell you what's wrong with me, but I don't think I've got long enough to the end of the show, (laughs) frankly. Okay. Tune into Two Grown Men to find out. Yeah, well, over the next uh, two or three hundred weeks. Yeah, last week week you get a good old insight. Should mention that as well, actually. Uh, This week's Two Grown Men, I I didn't mention that when we were talking about our previous weeks. This week's Two Grown Men, we did have a guest on, which... We've had uh, one guest on it before, but never they've never been uh, us two with someone else in the room. So um, it was Dan from Three Three Bods One Pod, and it was loads of fun. Wasn't it was it? good. Yeah, it was good. We did geek out a little bit in the middle. So even if you don't like children, it says more about you than it does about anybody totally. else, to be honest. But if you don't, um, you might still enjoy the uh, us talking about Star Wars because I don't think enough people have across the social internet it's not very it's not very often it's not an oft discussed topic at all is it which is a shame well we don't talk about it very often my daughter does all the time at the moment it's brilliant she likes it my daughter loves uh, she adores Star Wars I've totally indoctrinated her well done yeah thank you you must be very proud oh god I can't begin to tell you Um, how long do you want James 
Go on then, that'll do. I might not need it all. Okay, it's fine. But you've got it. It's in the bank. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I didn't go to the library for this week's book. Nope. This is a book that I bought myself. Seriously? Yeah. It's an. I'm not going to say. You say it. No, go on. It's an asterisk book. It's an asterisk book. It's the next in my series of asterisks. I'm trying to pick it up again. Uh, this is uh, edition 19, Asterisks and the Soothsayer, written, of course, by uh, René Gossini, uh, illustrated by Albert Uderzo, or Uderzo, or... Uderzo. Uderzo. <laughs> uh, the book itself, uh, if, if Wikipedia is to be believed, um, was serialised in Pilot between issues 652 and 673 in 1972, and was released in English in 1975. Nick, that was the year I was born. Oh, yeah, because you're two years younger than me. I am. It's um, Kismet. The uh, Because it is an odd-numbered book, it is set in the village. Hmm. Um, even they go for a journey, odd, they stay in the village. Um, and, is that uh, hard and fast? Uh, in it, uh, Up to a point, yeah. Right, OK. Um, and this one starts with everyone huddled in Chief Arthur's statistics hut as uh, they fear that um, the gods have forsaken them. The sky is about to fall on their head as a massive thunderstorm rages um, above them. It lead, uh, This is basically the opening scene here is an absolutely fantastic set, set um, fantastic, uh, fantastically paced scene. It has the sort of witty, sort of paranoid talk that you'd expect to emanate from the the, the inhabitants of the Gaulish village um, during um, such a such a uh, such an event. But it's interspersed with single single um, panels of um, lightning flashes, kind of reminiscent to the way um, that motifs used. Um, that's used in um, uh, the Dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight Returns it's, it's really reminiscent of it, actually. It really set the scene setting in this is absolutely perfect. So you've got this quite wise cracking um, talk going on, and most of it is about paranoia about the gods, um, and it it, it, um, it riffs on the fact, obviously, that the um, they they had a great many gods to choose from, and the way they would interact to them, and sort of the almost like the pick and mix sort of um, attitude towards sort of deity worship um, in um, polytheistic societies, yeah. which is quite quite good fun. Uh, and there are some absolutely fantastic um, written gags, some of which you know again this is the the absolute triumph of Asterix is the quality of translation, and there are some fantastic. I mean, one here. Um, uh, being essentially um, ends up being a gag about MI5 which were kind of only played to an English or British mm. audience you know I, I think you know a European audience will probably be aware maybe through Bond and the like but it's clearly you know it's gone through a fair bit of a rewrite some of this anyway in the midst of the storm a stranger appears a vital statistics hut looking for some shelter turns out to be a soothsayer who very quickly manages to split the village um, between Asterix on one side who uh, thinks the soothsayer is talking nonsense and the exceptionally gullible villagers who uh, immediately think because the soothsayer suggests that it's going to clear up eventually when it does that he must have um, uh, the third eye. Unfortunately the usual voice of reason in the uh, village Getafix is away at the annual Druiding Festival. Right, cool. So he's busy. 
So, of course, it's left to Asterix to be um, the sole voice of reason. Now, while Asterix initially uh, persuades them to drive him away, he uh, sets up uh, a camp in a clearing just outside the village, an impedimenta, the wife of the chief, ends up going to see him, which starts a domino effect of villagers Mm -hmm. eventually going to see him um, to be told their fortunes, most of which, of course, is all good stuff like, uh, you know, you're going to come into great wealth uh, or if you're on hygienics, you know, your fish stall, you're going to have a chain of fish stalls. It's all very exciting. But eventually the Romans capture the soothsayer and... Uh, he manages essentially to pull the same trick on the Romans where although they know that they should really um, throw him in in irons for being a soothsayer um, because Julius Caesar has commanded that they do that sort of thing, um, of course, the rather rather, um, piggy-eyed and uh, career-centred centurion uh, or camp commander that's in charge um, is... uh, taken with the, the with the things that the soothsayer is telling him about his his career so um uh, the the centurion uh, is called uh, voluptuous arteriosclerosis oh that doesn't sound good no i i think he might have something wrong with his heart he is very tubby oh anyway um eventually they they come up with a plan where the soothsayer uh, goes back to the village tells him that he he claims that he was chased off by Asterix and then that uh, a foul air will fall over the village um, and will suffocate them. So the, the villagers evacuate and in march the Roman uh, legion and the, the centurion sends word off to Caesar and he tells the, he tells the, uh, the runner to say, go and tell Caesar that all Rome is conquered. He will say all and you will say all. <laughs> Which is very... I gave that was a dramatic reading. I liked uh, it. I was, I was moved. Dra- uh, from Asterix to Suso. Anyway, needless to say, eventually Gitterfix turns up and turns the tables on the on the uh, Romans. He brews up a noxious smell that drives them out. They uh, bring unity to the village again. There's a right good punch up, and eventually there is a banquet. At the end, and all well's, all's well that ends well, because it's an asterisk book. Now for a feast. Absolutely. There's some really interesting things, though, about um, paranoia, about belief, um, about how society um, can um, follow um, charismatic characters who are saying what they want to say um, as subtext throughout the, throughout the book. And actually, it's quite sophisticated um, beneath the line or between the lines. Um, it has a similar sort of theme to it. Um, as Asterix and a Roman agent who you may remember is sent by Caesar to to um, create sedition um, and um, disharmony amongst the yeah. um, the Roman villagers. This actually I think although it has very similar themes I think is a better um, has a brisker pace to it has a very sort of a, a much clearer structure to it um, and has slightly better characterization in terms of the suicide. He's quite an enjoyable, sort of quite hapless character that he's a chancer. He turned up at the Roman village, sorry, he turned up at the Gaulish village hoping for a little bit of shelter and some food, ended up getting a little more than he, he, he bargained for, which is great. He rode his luck while he could and then ended up falling in with the Romans and again sort of having to ride his luck to get himself out of it. It's, it's quite, it's quite, he's quite a comical character throughout, whereas the Roman Roman agent is just an arsehole. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, there's some interesting things that it says about society. It is a beautifully written, very sophisticated book, really, um, for all the gags um, that appear throughout it. Beautifully translated, as I said, and as ever, it's one of one of those books from that sort of really golden period from the sort of like the mid 60s to like the early 80s, that really golden period of Asterix books where they're just, just amazingly well-told stories. Um, so... I can't say I'd, I, it's weird to cap these because I want to say, oh, I recommend it. It's an asterisk book. Of course I recommend mm-hmm. it. But um, a thoroughly enjoyable read and hopefully it won't be so long the gap between this asterisk and the next. The the panels you were talking about with the lightning, because it wasn't mm. just a couple. A couple of them were almost identical to the cover of The Dark Knight yeah. Returns, the the way it looked. No, the they were interspersed. It's a three or four page scene. And all those pages looked yeah. really dramatic just yeah. from across the room. And be- like... Beautifully paced. It, um, it, punctuates, um, it punctuates dialogue really beautifully. It's a beautifully paced and a beautifully acted scene. It's there's there's real genuine in you know craft brought to bear in, in 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 these books, and I think that really that scene in particular highlights the skill of the storytellers. Also, when you were talking about the way the villagers reacted in this, and I don't mm. know how much it carries through, but I'd never considered before that as this cast gets a bit, as the cast of villagers mm. gets bigger and more mm. developed. It really reminded me of The Simpsons, Springfield, oh, when you were talking about it. Absolutely, their willingness to just. Mm. Their willingness to be completely yeah. credulous and follow yeah, a trend or something, and and at this point as well, the the village is almost completely fleshed out. All of the characters that will remain now for the rest of the, are pretty much established. Thank you for that, James. That was Thank lovely. You. Timothy Swan, Timothy Swan, he'll break your arm, he'll break your arm with his bloody great wing. Two hundred fiftieth episode. How exciting. Well done, you guys. And to put out an episode every week, incredible achievement. I'm very, very jealous of your ability to do that. We're coming up on the 100th episode of Psychomedia, and the idea of getting to 250 seems absolutely incredible. So, well done. Uh, keep doing your thing. Um, good luck if you carry on with, like, rebranding and stuff. I don't know. I don't have any good ideas. Um, I'm not a marketing kind of person but yes congratulations um while i'm here uh paul duffield like he's still out there uh, i met him at mcm in london i know i'm sorry a friend wanted to go i felt guilty while i was there um uh yeah it's okay i'll try and come to thought of all i really should organize that gosh really should plan it oh um but yes, Paul Duffield, uh, he was selling his incredible, like, large-size comic signal. Just go and buy it. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I know anyone who's read Freak Angels will know how gorgeous Paul Duffield's art is. But this is kind of an essentially wordless comic. It's kind of a space odyssey thing going on, of going kind of through all of human history and kind of sci-fi elements. It's incredibly hard to describe, but just buy it and look at it. Um, as as uh, Stace from the Pop Culture Parlor would say, put it in your face, put it in your eyes. Uh, it is that good. Um, he's also got an ongoing web comic, which I think is Patreon supported. I'll be honest, I'm quite sceptical of Patreon, if only because I feel like if I want to commit to one, I'll feel guilty about not committing to all of them. So maybe I'll end up committing like one cent to everybody's, which then I'll feel guilty. Ugh. 
turns out guilt and Patreon doesn't go together, which you'd think it really would. You'd think it'd be really effective for guilting people into giving a little bit of money. Um, but it's called The Firelight Isle. Again, really beautiful art. Really reminds me, storytelling-wise, of William Nicholson, uh, his children's novels, especially the uh, the second trilogy, which was called... Uh, the Noble Warrior Trilogy? Um, yeah, uh, spoiler warning. Conclusion for the first trilogy. There is a messiah, and it works. Conclusion for the second trilogy. It's not that there's not a god, it's just not that the god you were thinking of is a god, except that that god is a god. Or something. Basically, more complicated theology than Philip Pullman. In lovely children's books, Firelight Isle, yeah, really gives me that impression of kind of isolated, mystical societies living on an island, not sure if it's, you know, distant past or, you know, alternate present or far future. Uh, and again, that gorgeous Paul Duffield art. So check out both Signal, you can probably buy it online, I should probably have looked up where, and Firelight Isle, give them a read if you like comics and if, you know, you guys have been really significant in me, really, I guess getting into comics uh, really strongly, going to conventions, all that sort of stuff. Probably wouldn't have done it about you guys. You were the guys who debuted any podcast appearance from me. So, thank you. Here's to reaching episode 500. You're wonderful. Bye-bye. Um, I guess, I mean, that's almost us, isn't it? Do you know what you're doing for the next week? <sighs> who knows? Me too. We had a lovely we had a, a lovely weekend last weekend, but I think this mm. might be the first weekend in a while that we've not got anything planned. I don't mean you and me, James. I mean my household. Yeah, I think we've actually I'm working this weekend. I've only got one day off, so that isn't good. But then I'm, I've only got another week to work, and then I'm on holiday for a couple of weeks. So. That is good. That's yeah, better, isn't it? Um, yes, that is very good. Awesome. Uh, we are the Momcast uh, for our sins. You can talk to us uh, at by um, sending. I didn't I, do it properly. I didn't do it properly. No, it's fine. I didn't. I'll do it. I mean, I'll I'll do it again. It's fine. It's okay. Everyone, calm down. Jesus, we're never getting out of this place. <laughs> you can edit you can, it together. You should have the next fifty. Yeah? <laughs> you can talk to us. <laughs> um, you can talk to us in many places on the internet. The best place is normally by sending us an email uh, where we take contributions. You can put something in James's mouth. I'm not going to explain the whole thing now. Uh, they can listen to a previous episode. It's fine. Uh, the uh, If they're listening to this one, they've probably listened to all of the others as well. That's how it works. That's right? a hell of an assumption to make. I mean, put something in James's mouth is your opportunity to send us a page of text that takes no more than a minute for an idiot to read out where we advertise the comet project of your choice. Yeah, see, if we were going to do that, that's exactly what we'd say. But we're not going to. But we're not going We're not going to because you all have heard it on a previous episode. It's fine. Uh, uh. That's the oh, that's the effect. theme tune. Yeah, it is. It's the theme tune. Ah. <laughs> Mine just sounded like a little burp. It did. And then he sounded like an alien from Mars Attacks. Yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. Oh, it looks really good. Never mind. Um, so you can you can send us emails, audio contributions, all sorts of different things. You can do that by sending us email to... Momcast at gmail.com. You can also find full show notes for the show at momcomics.com where you will... Also see links to also also you'll also see links to our Twitter account, I think. 
Facebook page, a Google Plus page, probably not sure, and a Tumblr page. And our wheelhouse. And our wheelhouse. We, <laughs> we, we gratefully receive comments and follows and likes and shares on our Facebook page. Uh, I spend more time on there than than I do in a lot of other places. That's probably a mistake. Facebook's not good for someone's health, my health specifically. You can talk to us on Twitter. There's a Mob Comics is the main Mob account, but you can also talk to me. Also, I'm Nick Sight, and you can also talk to James. Also, he's Gregory Peck, James Mob. Because uh, Mom is his surname. That's how we ended up stuck with the name. It's pretty cool. Yes. Uh, you can also talk to Jane. She's at Jane Comics. And John, he's at John Mom, but spelt without a H because he's part of that generation that spells it without a H because it's yeah. cool. He probably <sighs> drinks seven up straight from the bottle. Yep. Uh, he probably does. <laughs> but never Sprite because okay. Sprite's not cool. No, that's for uh, that's for fogies. Yeah. Full show notes. If you follow any of the links to Amazon uh, from the show notes, we get a tiny little amount of money. Don't worry, though. You don't have to do that. You can just use Amazon normally and uh, and your experience of Amazon will not be affected. Also, also, you can subscribe to us at any of your podcasts of choice. We we go on about Stitcher a lot. I think we just got into the habit of going on about Stitcher. Now I'm not I sure like why. Sad Clown. Uh, James likes Sad Clown, uh, or AKA and also known as also uh, known as SoundCloud.com, where uh, all of the most recent episodes are up there, and you can leave little comments in the particular bits you like. I liked the bit where Nick said also. You could you could say that if you really liked it. I really dig this podcast. It's really in my wheelhouse, you could say. <laughs> yeah, totally in my wheelhouse. Mm. If you're going to break out the really good words like wheelhouse, though, mm. you should probably uh, rate and review us at, at iTunes using it there because that's uh, the one that impresses all of the, the real hardcore podcast listeners and that will get us in front of the most people. So you could leave a comment like, I'm off to listen to the They Might Be Giants hit Wheelhouse in My Soul. <laughs> As as sung on <laughs> the Mombcast, yeah. Um, we've probably missed the opportunity to be new and noteworthy. Pretty sure I did this bit on Two Grown Men this weekend. I don't Definitely know what's did. happening anymore. Thank you, contributors. Thank you, all of the people who've said nice things. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Stamps dot com. Thank you, Audible. Thank you, Gracebox. WTF? What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, back to work. Rachel and Miles explain the X Men. All of the Kevin Smith podcasts. The Smodcasts, yep. Uh, Harmontown, thank you, listener. Thank you, listeners. I think we should go. Bye bye. <laughs>
The last time that happened to me, they came to my doorstep and it was the same. And they, they tried the same thing. I think my daughter stood next to me. She said, do, do you agree that it's awful that we live in a world where children are allowed to starve for want of a, a square meal? I actually laughed in her face and said, I'm not a psychopath. Of course I <laughs> Genuinely. thing is right I'm, I'm generally quite socially awkward believe it or not um i don't 